0: Hey Revelation Wellness friends, thank you for joining us today. For another episode of the Revelation Wellness Podcast, today we have a great conversation for you happening with our incredible guest host, Kara Osborne, whom we are delighted is here filling in for us while Elisa is on sabbatical. Today, Kara is talking with Beth Duckenberger, missionary, author, and founder of Back to Back Ministries. Today, Kara and Beth get real and dive deep into unpacking how we handle spiritual warfare. You're going to want to listen in as Beth gives us practical steps that make praying through spiritual battles much less overwhelming. But before we turn the mic over to Kara, we want to remind you that it is not too late to get signed up for Project Stress Relief. Registration is still open and for only $39 you will have access to some incredible content that includes a daily devotion teachings, a daily intention, activation, and trusted coaches equipping you with the tools you need to help reset and learn how to get your body and mind back in line with what God always intended for us. We're here for you if you are overwhelmed, tired, and just chronically worried. Jesus came to bring peace, and that includes peace for all of us. Let's lean in together and learn how intentional time with him, along with some practical tools, is the solution to stress and anxiety. You can swipe up to the show notes for all the details and sign up. Hey, Revelation Wellness friends,
1: this is Kara Osborne. I am so glad to be with you as your guest host today. Elisa's out on sabbatical, and so I got the honor and joy of sitting in today as we interview Beth Guckenberger. And I just know y'all are going to love her heart, her wisdom, and all that she has to share with us today. So I hope you enjoy, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Hello, friends. We are so glad that you're joining us here today for another episode of the Revelation Wellness Podcast. Today, I am joined by Beth Guckenberger. Did I say that right,
2: Beth? You sure did. Sounds great.
1: Perfect. So we're joined today by Beth. Beth has written 11 books. She served as a missionary, a speaker. She's the co-executive director of Back-to-Back Ministries, which is a ministry that serves orphans through holistic care. That's a wife and a mama. And her latest book is called Throw the First Punch, which is about helping us be prepared each and every day for the schemes and tactics of the enemy. So we're super excited that you said yes to joining us here today. Thanks for being here.
2: Wow! Thanks for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity.
1: Yeah. So today, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is your new book, which I'm excited to hear more about that. But it's on a topic that a lot of people may not be super comfortable with. And mm-hmm. so really looking forward to hearing you kind of unpack with us why it's important that we are aware and um, and observant of spiritual warfare and how that is being used in our lives, um, as I was preparing today, I was thinking about Ephesians six twelve, and you know we we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but sometimes we make it about flesh and blood. And mm-hmm. so, really glad that you're here today to share this with us. So, with that, how about you just jump right in and tell us a little bit about your new book?
2: Oh, thanks for all that intro. Yeah, I mean. I grew up in the church. So, you know, as a little kid, I made armors of God. And then, yeah, right. I, you know, I, I I was a college kid when Frank Peretti's books came out about this mm-hmm. present darkness and piercing mm-hmm. the darkness. And my imagination was stoked a little bit about what goes on in a world we can't see. And then um, I became a missionary in 1997 moved to another country and had some experiences that I realized now I could have had in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, but um, I, I just didn't have the radar up. I didn't have yeah. the discernment to understand. Right. And as I was seeking out answers to to circumstances and situations that didn't necessarily have human explanation to them, I yeah. was I was finding that a lot of the content written about spiritual warfare was kind of from the fringes of our faith community. You know, people. Right who thought maybe the the devil's behind every door when sometimes we get potholes. I mean, we get flat tires because there's a pothole and we get sick because we were exposed to germs. Like the devil's not actually behind everything. Totally Okay. Or it was on the other side and it was like, it's, it's, you know, he, the enemy only lives in one place at a time, which is true. And it's probably not your house. So what you're experiencing is just about you and your struggles and issues. And I was like, And I, um, I learned that about a quarter of what Jesus said was about things that we can't see about a world in which we can't see. And that started to feel like a really good ratio. Like you don't want to talk about all the time because I don't want to give undue attention to an enemy, but if I never talk about it, then he gets to get away with things. So about a quarter of the time kind of seemed like a good ratio. And then
1: I'd never heard that before. A quarter of the time. Wow. yeah. Yeah.
2: And then in the start of 2020, right at the very beginning of COVID, um, I got a phone call from a large church in my city that I had been speaking at once or twice a year for 10 or 15 years, and um, they lost their pastor that week and had just gone online because we had all just gone online for church, right. and they wanted someone who was familiar to the congregation to be on the screen when they turned it on, so they asked me if I would serve as the interim senior pastor and. I'd never been a pastor before. I never thought about yeah. being a pastor. Before, it was the start of COVID. We were all kind of doing hard things. And so right. I said, Okay, sure. And <laughs> I was man. in this I was uh, in this staff meeting, about 75 staff at this church, big church, and I had an agenda that I had prepared. And about fifteen minutes into the meeting, it just wasn't going the way I thought it would. And finally I just pushed my paper away and I said, Listen, people. I am not mm. the only person with an agenda in the room.
0: Mm. We have an
2: enemy, and his agenda is to disrupt God's kids doing God's work in God's house. Yeah. And I like, if just use your imagination with me for a minute, what do we think the enemy wants to have happen in this room today? What's on his agenda? Wow. And one one brave lady goes, uh, I think he'd want us not to trust you. And I was like, <sighs> yes. And I rolled over this whiteboard and I wrote, Distrust. And then somebody's like, I think he'd want us to be so afraid we don't know what to do. And I wrote mm-hmm. fear. And anyway, the room continued to populate with the kinds of things we imagined the enemy wanted to have happen in this church. Yeah. And at the end, I looked at the board and I said, he doesn't have any new tricks. Everything he knows how to do, we've already seen before. That's right. And I've read my Bible plenty. I know Ephesians 6 says I put on the full armor of God. I know First Peter 5 says there's an enemy. He's like a lion and he's prowling yes. around. yes. The problem is when I put those two teachings together, I get the impression I'm supposed to put my armor on and wait for the lion to come get me. But if I already know all the stuff he's going to do, why does he get to come get me? I'd actually mm. like to go come get on. him first.
1: Come on, come on. <laughs> so
2: that's where that title comes from about throwing the first punch. Like I don't need to be in a responsive posture. I need to be in an aggressive posture. And when I said that to that room and I said, let's, let's go take out the enemy before he has a chance to come in here and disrupt what God's doing here. I love that. Lots of things change. And then I started to d- talk about that in my marriage. And then I started, we have 11 children. I started talking about it with my family. And then I was like, you know what? I think this is a thing. Like, I think I just need to take a minute and say, what would the enemy want to happen? And what do I need to do to preempt to the activity? Wow. And it's, it's, it's caused me to feel bolder. Uh, in yeah. Ways yeah. Um, and, and the book is just a whole bunch of stories of what happened, um, in the aftermath of that.
1: I love that. I love that you just brought it to the light, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes we can feel it, but we can't necessarily explain it or we don't stop to take the time Mm -hmm. to explain it and to be sober minded about what's actually happening. I love that. So good. Okay. So 2020, obviously you were saying it was birthed kind of in the middle of all of that. That's a time that a lot of people were experiencing just a lot of anxiety and fear Um, At Rev, we talk a lot about how does that land in our bodies and we're not called to have a spirit of fear, but sometimes we get stuck in these cycles, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to interrupt that to break out of it. So I guess my question for you is you kind of sensed the room as you were sitting there, but for people who are listening today, Mm -hmm. what would that look like, right? And Mm -hmm. specifically in regards to anxiety or fear being used as a tool in spiritual warfare, Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do we recognize that? How do we call that out? What would it look like for us?
2: Yeah, those are great. Those are great questions. I think if you can think of a, a progression or a spectrum, like the first step of that is I feel afraid about something. It could be something in my history, in my present. It could be anxiety about an unknown future, whatever. Like I, I'm having fear. Yeah. If I don't deal with that fear, I don't confess that, get accountability, replace that fear with truth, do the work around that fear, then the Bible talks about how that fear can get a foothold in my heart, in my mind. And I can take that apart. I mean, spiritual discipline and um, just even, uh, you know, deliverance from that can happen. But if I don't do any work and I just let that little foothold go unchecked over time, the next step in that progression is the Bible talks about strongholds. It becomes a stronghold and it becomes... Um, like my default way of thinking it becomes a, a like muscle memory I, I i get really comfortable and familiar with feeling that way and i don't fight it anymore because because the last step in that progression is it it is becomes a part of my identity and i think this is just who i am right. and instead of having worried about something i'm now a warrior yes or right an, <clears throat> if it, it happens with any any kind of sin if the first sin i do is is I lie. And then I don't do anything about that lie. Um, And lying becomes one of my protective strategies. And I get a little, it gets a little foothold in my heart. And then over time it becomes a stronghold. Now, instead of having lied once, I am a liar. I I am a deceiver of people. And Mm -hmm. that becomes a part of my identity. So I think one of the healthy things we can do um, is confess our sin on a regular basis. I mean, I I was a part of a confessional group uh, maybe 10 years ago for the first time. And in that, con- we, w- we were confessing sins people couldn't see. So there's all kinds of sins I do that people can see. But there are some yeah. sins that nobody sees, like right. envy or right. or lust or um, you know, all kinds of sins in there that go in my mind. And I remember one time I was confessing the sin of judgment, which is not a sin anybody would see. It's just between the Lord and I. Yes. And the freedom that resulted
0: in mm-hmm. confessing
2: that's like actually saying it out loud, mm-hmm. hearing how ugly it sounds, mm-hmm. understanding what it's done to my relationships, understanding mm-hmm. what it's done to my attitude towards people, like like really just pulling it out of the dark and putting it on the table, then that's how you start to dismantle strongholds and footholds. Yes. And suddenly now I'm like, I am not judgmental. That's not my identity. It is a sin I can still struggle with, but it's not who I am anymore. And
1: who you are. Yes.
2: There's some freedom, some really good freedom that can come with the, the act of confession and the act of, so whether it's fear and anxiety or whatever struggle someone's listening, someone who's listening to is, is wrestling with. I think God gives us good tools so we can experience Mm -hmm. freedom in those areas
1: hmm I think what typically happens is we feel like we can just hide it, right? We're the only ones. The enemy makes us think we're the only one that struggles with this thing and we can dress it up and try to make it look nice or you know, even kind of set up a little display in our, our hearts as if you would in your home. And we say, well, this is just something that I do. We're the only ones and no one can know. But there's this beautiful invitation instead to just run right back to the Father and say, I need to bring this to the light because when we do that, the enemy loses his hold and there's mm-hmm. healing and freedom there. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, so in your book, you have an acronym that you use. So mm-hmm. it's it's the acronym
2: COMBAT
1: and you're mm-hmm. you're using it. Um. Well, why don't you tell us? Kind of walk us through that and how we can use that.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about as I was talking to people and even reflecting in my own life about spiritual attack, I was looking for some common denominators. And most people were saying like, I get stuck. I get, I feel frozen. I don't know what to do. Like I, and so I was trying to think of an acronym that would represent steps, like, like pathways out of that feeling stuck or trapped or thoughts that keep running around in your head, like hamsters on wheels or like what, what's the actual practical path out of that? And how can we make it so familiar and memorable that it's like muscle memory. So when we get in a place where we feel like our thoughts are under attack, our bodies under attack, our marriages under attack or whatever, like I know exactly what to do first. Here's the first thing. So combat the C is confess, confess Confess your sins. And if you actually did nothing else, you would get pretty far um, down the path with just confessing. Like what's my part in this? Where do I'm not, where am I not aligning with God? What, what do I need to, um, you know, realign my thinking to what God has taught, like c- c- see us confess. The O is a little bit more, probably the most complicated of the six steps, but it's like observe which tactic is the enemy using? Like, is he trying to okay. make me proud? Is he, you know, is he, is he playing on my pride? Is he trying does he want me to feel ashamed? Mm-hmm. Does he want me to like, is he trying to make me feel afraid or yeah. angry or like, what is it that he is stepping on provoking? And because I think oftentimes we just don't take time to look at him. And I think it's pastor Bill Johnson. I read, who said, oh, I just want to look at the devil long enough to know how to shoot him. You know, like it's, <laughs> it, it's not, it's not that I want to give him again, any undue attention, but like, what's he up to right now? I don't want to be left unaware. Yeah. That's or the o.
1: or o. passive.
2: Yeah. The M is measure. Um, M is for measure the impact. When, when I sin, um, when I fall, like we all have spiritual Achilles heels. When I have, when I fall prey to my sinful nature and I mm, snap at my child or mm. lose my cool with my husband or so- mm. something, something ne- that we never do that. <laughs> never. <laughs> I I mean, I can let my, I can justify Sinful actions in my life, especially when I think I'm I'm willing to pay the price. Like I'm going to take my chances. That sin that I'm willing to think about or say or do, Mm. it's the impact. The impact blast is just me, and it's okay with me. I'm willing to take that. Mm. But the truth is, when I make choices to sin, I'm a part of a whole ecosystem of Mm. relationships, and Mm. my lifestyle and my choices are going to impact people around me. And trying to understand. What, like, what is, what all happens when I fall prey to an enemy attack? What all happens when I, when I am weak and I make a poor choice? Right. So confess your sin, observe what he's up to, measure what the impact is. The last three letters, B, A, and T, B is believe the truth. This is the tool that, that, that Jesus used in the wilderness when the enemy was attacking him. He knew his word and he right. used his word That's and right. he used it to defy the lies that the the devil was whispering to him so believe the truth a is aim your fist because we're talking about throwing the first punch so what are all the tools i have like i have tools of worship scripture prayer i have the tool of rest i have the tool of fellowship i have accountability like all kinds of tools i have in my tool belt what do i need to use in this particular moment to get me out of this situation i'm in that's a. That's the A for aim your fist, and the T and is throw the. And f- that's
1: such a good reminder that we do have a toolkit full of yeah, tools. Like I love too. those that you just listed. You said worship, prayer, rest. Those are good reminders. I think you said a few others, and I missed them. Yeah. But we have been given what we need um, to fight back. So that's so good. Yes, aim your fist.
2: Yeah, and then T is throw the first punch. Like now you have you have. At this point, you have momentum because you've confessed your sin. You know what he's up to. You know what the truth is. You understand your tool. So throw the first punch. I mean, like, you're not going to (laughs) miss. In fact, I love to study. I always say I have a Bible crush on Moses, and I love to study (laughs) the book of Exodus. And (laughs) there's a passage in Exodus 8 where Pharaoh says to his magicians, could you all come up with a plague as cool as the plague that the God of Moses is doing, because I'd like our people to understand that we are as strong as the God of Moses. Mm-hmm. And those magicians come back to Pharaoh and say all of our power combined doesn't compare to the power that's found in the finger of their God. Like, and we have that power in us. So mm-hmm. realizing by the time you at the tea and you're throwing that, that first punch, the enemy has nothing. I and mean, he doesn't have enough power left to defeat you. You have all of that spiritual momentum on your own side.
1: Oh, so good! And I love in the book where you say Jesus is the star of the story,
2: yeah. right?
1: Like this isn't about self empowerment and that we have enough to fight it all off in and of ourselves. It's the power we've been given through the Lord. Um, so good. So do you good.
2: feel? Do you feel like in your life you've seen um, moments when you've experienced any kind of spiritual attack?
1: Yes, I'm actually in a season of it right now, um, mm-hmm. I feel like. So th- what you're saying, I'm trying to write notes and <laughs> keep up with all the things you're saying, because I know as I'm listening, there are places where, number one, I need to confess some sin, right? Like mm-hmm. I've been, I have been, just going to be real transparent, in a season of, um, it's been really comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm. And so it's
1: easy for me to not um, have grabbed hold of what the Lord has for me. I've I've been in a place of um, maybe even a little bit of apathy, right? Mm-hmm. And so- There's some things I probably need to confess, and then there's some tactics that the enemy has been executing in my life that I have not been aware of. So this is so good as you're talking. Mm. I'm I'm trying to learn and ask the Lord for myself as well. Um, You talked about shame earlier, Mm -hmm. and shame is one of those things we try to call the enemy out on. Specifically in every area, but specifically here with Revelation Wellness, um, shame when it comes to the design of our bodies and mm-hmm. the things the Lord has done there. Um, we like to call shame out, but shame shows up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to the word in the very beginning with Adam and Eve when they went from being naked and unashamed to then hiding. Um, so shame likes to hang out and hide, but it can wreak havoc. So, my question is, how would you see the enemy using shame as a weapon? maybe even specifically in regard to our design or our physical bodies, and then what can we do about it?
2: I think that's a great question. You know, I've been really influenced by an author named Dr. Kurt Thompson. He wrote a book called Soul of Shame. Mm -hmm. And um, I like some of the things that he teaches on this subject of shame. And mainly it's a disconnector. I mean, shame disconnects us. It causes us to want to retreat and hide. And we were made... Our fellowship and we, yes. even god is a trying god i mean he was yes. made for connection and it's it's a it's, <clears throat> so i like i like that that you talk about it because i think it's it's the kind of subject that um it's just hard to admit when we feel mm-hmm. shame it's mm-hmm. hard to admit the things that drive us to shame and i mm-hmm. think when I, I think the antidote is understanding like sometimes in christian circles we talk about the orphan spirit so my day job is working with orphan and vulnerable children and not just orphans have orphan spirit anybody who doesn't understand their sonship the rights and privileges they have as one of god's kids can walk in in that orphan spirit and shame is one of the biggest fingerprints of someone who has the orphan spirit because this is just a funny little story but one of my sons is adopted and we got him the summer before his seventh grade years. He was 12 wow. years old. Wow. He started junior high. He played soccer. And so um, he's, he <laughs> had never been in a family before. And we adopted him from a, a foreign country and he lived in an orphanage there. So it was like maybe the third or fourth week of school and he didn't have a cell phone yet. So I got this text from an unknown number and it said, Tyler forgot his soccer shoes. Can you bring them up after school? And I just assumed it was one of his friends or whatever. And so I went home from work and I found his soccer shoes by the door and I drove him up. He had a game that night. And so there was like an athletic study hall after, after school. And I walked in, I'm like, Hey, here, buddy, you forgot your shoes. And he looked at me and he goes, it worked. And I said, what do you <sighs> mean it worked? And he's like, I told my teammates, I couldn't play in the game tonight. Cause I forgot my shoes. And they were like, don't you have a mom? And he was like, yeah. And they're like, well, just ask her to bring your shoes. Wow. And he's like, I didn't know that's how that works. I'm like, oh, wow. this is definitely how this works. Like we we bring homework, we bring lunch, we bring shoes. Like this is how this wow. works. He had all the rights and privileges as my child, but he didn't actually understand how to use Come them. On. And I think in the same ways, when we become one of God's kids and we, when we enter into God's family, we have all these rights and privileges. And mm. one of them is we can live without shame. and. But we we're going to spend the rest of our life understanding what our rights and privileges are. But this is how this works: like understanding who we are in Christ reduces shame. I think sometimes fixating on shame or trying to or even feeling shame about the fact that you feel shame that's that doesn't do anything but double down. Yeah. Um, When we put our eyes on who and how God sees us, I think that's the pathway out of that identifier.
1: I love that. Do you have a place you would recommend for people to start? Right. So what you just said is we have to understand who we are and understand how the Lord sees us in that relationship. Where do you recommend people start? Um, I mean, obviously the word, but is there a specific passage or teaching or anything you point people to? You
2: know what I, I, since, well, I, I love the gospels because I just love how counter-cultural Jesus always was. Yeah, and he, was, yeah. he, he wasn't afraid eat with anyone talk to anyone Mm -hmm. elevate anyone he liked kids he liked women he liked foreigners he liked six sick people like all the things that we typically might assume were he just turned all that stuff upside down so if i want to understand what it's like to be his kid i think probably understanding more about who he is yeah um is a is a part of it's probably a great first step
1: yeah Yeah, we do instructor training here with Revelation Wellness, where we train up fitness teacher gospel preachers. So we send people out to use fitness as a tool to spread the gospel. And we were doing a training call last night, and I was talking to all these students that are in training, and I was saying to them, know the word, right? Like before we can go out and and teach other people, we have to actually know it. But then we have to act like we believe it and actually Mm -hmm. do the things it says. Mm -hmm. So if we're wanting to live more like Jesus, we have to know how he lived. And then mm-hmm. we have to practice doing what he did. So such a good reminder for us. Um, another thing I was thinking about as I was preparing is you talked about the tools that we have access to the weapons we have And here in Rev, We say all the time, worship is warfare, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the ones you mentioned was worship. So mm-hmm. why do you think that praise is such a powerful tool in fighting the battles that we face?
2: Mm. <laughs> I mean, besides some of the passages, like, you know, inhabits the praises of his people or Psalm eight that talks about the the power of the praise of children. It has the power to shut the devil's mouth. Mm. Or There's a couple of old Testament stories where prior to the military campaign, they sent out worship bands. I mean, a lot of biblical reasons for us to believe it, but just personal testimony. It's a, it's a mood changer. It's a, it's an eye lifter it's a Mm -hmm. it's a refocus of Mm -hmm. what it is that has my attention worship is really about attention it's not about music it's not about um it's it's about attention and so when my eyes go to him then whatever it is that I was kind of worked up about seems to get put in perspective and I think um I don't know like sometimes in worship I am like loud and rambunctious and sometimes in worship I'm like quiet and reverent sometimes in worship I'm weeping and sometimes in worship I'm hopeful and I I just like that we can be ourselves in worship that there's we don't have to pretend or posture ourselves it's just like it's just a throne room exchange Mm -hmm. and I I mean again I I I like loud music. I like worship music as much as the next person, but I think we can worship sometimes when there's no sound in the room. I mean, we Absolutely. can we can worship at a walk in nature. We can we can yeah. worship all kinds of things. To worship and when we're exercising our gifts, it's a form of worship. So, yeah, um, yeah just to, um, we were made to do it, and right. so that also then ends up feeling really good. Yeah, that we were made to do it.
1: Well, and where I was getting ready to go from there is people who are listening who may find themselves in a season where they really do feel under attack or they feel like there's a lot of warfare in their relationships, maybe in their home. Um, I was going to say, what's a practical way to practice that each day, right? But you just listed some of those for us. And I think sometimes, at least for me, I may not feel like it, right? But you go ahead and give them the glory he's doing. My heart shifts in the process, And we were created to worship, just like you said. So, so
2: good. Another tool that I use, speaking of the, like, I might not feel like it. uh, Six years ago, I was diagnosed with the breast cancer gene. So I underwent all the surgeries related to that. And in the aftermath of those surgeries, I was in a lot of pain and I wasn't reading my Bible very much because I couldn't even really focus, Mm -hmm. but it became real obvious real fast that I needed uh I needed a regular dose of his word. And during the day I was fine, but at night I would wake up with these kind of anxious, catastrophic thoughts yes. like, oh my gosh, we're all dying. And so one night I woke up and I picked up my phone because I wanted to open up my Bible app. And I noticed for the very first time it had an audio feature. Mm-hmm. And my Bible my phone app was already in the Gospels. So I just hit play. Yes. Mostly red letters like mostly things that God said. And the, right. the narrator was a male. So I was like in the dark on the phone, like it pretty much felt like Jesus was calling me here right. on my phone. <laughs> and, and the Bible did what the Bible says it's going to do. Yes. It, it brought a sense of peace into my heart. And so I was like, Oh, I want to do that more often. So I started to use the audio Bible, like in the morning when I was working, you know, working out or getting ready mm-hmm. or driving mm-hmm. in my car, just, I just let it kind of, I would just, I like the way it sounded. I like getting used to the way it sounded. Anyway, months later, I was totally better. And I was, uh, my husband and I on a Saturday morning got in this fight and we don't even really remember what it was about, but it it was a big enough deal that we went in our room so that we could have some privacy away from the kids. And then after a little bit, one of our kids knocked on the door, he needed a ride somewhere. And my husband Todd was like, I'll be right back. I'm like, no worries, I'm gonna be right here. And I was thinking like, I'm doubling down to, you know, but as yeah. soon as I was alone with my thoughts, I didn't really like them. I didn't mm. like mm. how I was sounding. I didn't like what I was thinking, mm. but I had a lot of energy, like a lot of adrenaline going on. And I, I didn't feel like sitting down to do my Beth Bible study. Like I was like For worked sure. up. Right. And For so sure. I said to the Lord, I, I'm not so sure can come to you, but you can come to me if you want. Oh, and I lay down on my bed and I just hit my audio Bible. Like, come, come, break through, break through my sinful right. nature, break through right. whatever's right. going on here. So, 15 minutes later, my husband comes home. He was not listening to his audio Bible, so he comes charging in the room. But poor guy, you can't start yelling at your wife when she's on the bed, like listening to her Bible. So <laughs> he comes and settles down next to me. Right. And the, the next thing he said. The next thing the Bible said was a book, a verse out of Mark, and it said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, yes. And it wasn't like, you know, I looked at each other like, oh my gosh, you're right about everything. I'm so sorry. But what the Bible did in that moment was lift our eyes and mm-hmm. realign us and mm-hmm. remind us of what's true and yep. remind us of what's important. And that's right. all of a sudden, all the things we had been fighting about weren't so important anymore to the extent I can't even remember what it was. Yeah. And So like tools sometimes actually do the fighting for us. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of examples where God says, confess your sins, get rid of the foreign gods, and I'll fight for you. And I think that's still true today.
1: I love that. And I love that in that moment, his word was used to remind you that your husband wasn't the enemy, Mm -hmm. right? Like the enemy is the enemy. We keep making about other people, but it's really not about other people. And so when you get your eyes back on the Lord, it shifts perspective. Yeah. So good. Okay. So good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. So tell me, you've been in ministry for 25 years. What mm-hmm. are you seeing now, Beth, that you did not see 25 years ago? Hmm.
2: That's a great question. Um, I'm There's a story. My husband used to be a history teacher and he talks about how um, he used to teach in his classes about the pony express, which is mm-hmm. the way in which uh, they delivered mail once upon a time yes. in this country. And they would run those horses really hard from one post to the next. In fact, they ran them so hard that a horse never delivered the mail more than once. They would be immediately retired because wow. they wow. ran them too hard. Wow! I think once upon a time, that's what we used to do. We used to run so hard that people flamed out, burned out, right.
1: Burnout. Yep.
2: words like Self care that I didn't even know those words 25 years ago. Um, and I feel like we're doing a better job today than ever understanding. Um, this is a marathon, you know, Mm -hmm. this is we've got to take care of each other, we have to Mm -hmm. take care of relationships, we have to take care of ourselves, we have to prioritize our marriages, we have to like some of those things. I'm not sure I heard a lot of that. There was. A lot of conversation about sacrifice and duty and um, calling. And I think some of that's very, very important, but I also think um, we can't lose ourselves in the middle of it. And I I appreciate some of the, the ways in which people are, are understanding if I'm going to do this for a long time, I need to take care of myself.
1: I love that. And that people aren't sacrificing their families um, Mm -hmm. for that. Right. Like, that, I think At least I've heard stories, I'm sure we all have, of kids that grew up with parents in the ministry who grew up resenting everything about it because of all that was built up and the the mom or the dad always being gone and serving. And yeah, so Elisa, our founder, is actually out on sabbatical right now because she wants to continue running well with the Lord, right? And so Mm -hmm. the ministry, the organization was able um, to allow her to step away so that she can be filled up and come Mm -hmm. back and be ready to run. So you're right. That is so important for people. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the ministry that you and your husband founded, the back-to-back ministry, where you serve and care for orphans. So yeah. how did that come about? What's it look like
2: in your life? So um, we had a couple of short-term mission trip experiences, like high school, college, mm-hmm. immediately following college. And one year we were on a mission trip. Uh, we were partnering with our church was partnering with a church in Mexico and they asked us to paint the wall around the church from blue to green, which is fine, except for the year before we'd painted it from green to blue. Oh. <laughs> and I, it wasn't, we weren't getting swept up into in something that the Lord was doing in that city. Yeah, yeah. And so I was complaining to my husband, like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this one more day. Like I can't, I can't have these students do this and God has got to be doing something else. And he just looked at me and he goes, do you think there's any orphanages in this city? Cause he and I had visited an orphanage in the country of Albania while we were college students. I had no idea, but I was like, let's find out. So we left our students in the hands of very responsible adults. And then we jumped in a taxi cab wow. and we just started saying the word orphan with a Spanish accent. And we, <laughs> found, we found one. Wow. We told the guy we had three things in our hands, one complete day, $200 and 25 high school kids. And what would he do with those resources? And he told us the windows were broken and the kids hadn't had meat in over a year. So the next day we went to remedy that. Wow. And um, my husband pointed out this little preschooler to me and I told him I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. She was so cute. And he said, Mm. well, you have to have taken your eyes off her a few times. She's been in your line like five times. (laughs) I don't know any preschooler who can eat that much. Yeah. I followed her the next time she came up to get some food and I followed her all the way back to her dorm room. And I could see she and the other preschoolers were lifting up their beds and they were putting hamburgers underneath them, like mm-hmm. saving them for another mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just kept thinking in that moment, like, I know people who would buy a hamburger for an orphan. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was 1996. Um, we saved our money. And the next year we moved to Mexico for what we thought would be a year. We were double income, no kids. So we saved one of our salaries. Um, that was the start of the work that we do today. And today there's about 350 employees that work in 11 places around the world and we wow. work with um, orphans and vulnerable children uh, all wow. the way through to adulthood. And we do trauma training in hundreds of countries around the world. So it's a big operation these days, but it really started with that little girl and her hamburger and me thinking, I, I just, I bet I know someone who would do something about this mm-hmm. and figuring out how to bridge them.
1: I love that and I love that like your yes, right? It was it was a yes to something little, but then the Lord uses that for so many other things moving forward, which is so good. Okay. You said so use for trauma, what did you call it?
2: Trauma training. So
1: okay. So what do you do with them? What does that look like?
2: Yeah. In the beginning with orphans, we just met physical needs because that's what we could see vaccinations, sure. clean water, protein. Sure. Then we made sure they knew it was in a spiritual context. Like this is not because we're great. It's because God loves you. And then we added a educational component where we were taking kids all the way through college. And we were cruising along for a while at that pace. And we graduated one of our first college graduates. And he was an engineer and came to our house six weeks after he'd started a new job. And Mm -hmm. he was telling us he was going to quit his job. And we were like, why? It's so great. And he's like, this guy and he follows me around everywhere and he's he's always telling me what to do and he's driving me crazy and my husband's like is he your boss yeah like yes (laughs) and we realized that we had not adequately addressed this young man's issues with authority and men and working in a team and getting feedback and uh, all the things and so um, gosh that was a while ago now that was more than probably 12 years ago and we just started to take a deep dive into trauma ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. who's learning about that? Where's research happening for that? Where's training? Realizing mm-hmm. a lot of content is being passed professional to professional, like given to social workers and psychologists, Yes. but we needed content that was going to be good for lay people. And so we just, we created a curriculum. We took the best science research, put it through our faith filter, made it appropriate for lay people just began to use it with our own staff, saw some pretty remarkable results, and then began to share it. So that part of our organization is called Trauma-Free World. And on the Trauma-Free World website, anybody can log on and get a variety of training. If you are a classroom teacher or a concerned neighborhood, Sunday school teacher, adoptive parent, foster parent, I mean, any any kind of volunteer, we now know that. Yeah. One out of every two children yeah. in the world has experienced trauma. So if you work with kids, it's a good tool to have. Okay. In your... Say
1: it again. Traumafreeworld.org mm-hmm. or .com? Exactly.
2: Dot, dot .org. Yep.
1: Wow. Okay. Everybody write that down. Go check <laughs> it out. Share it with somebody, you know that needs it, which is everybody. So mm-hmm. that's super helpful. Wow. Okay. Any last things you want to make sure that listeners know or hear from you today before we kind of wrap up?
2: Uh, Yeah, actually two little things. I would just say Exodus chapter 10, the plague of a plague of darkness. It says that darkness fell so thick on the land, you could feel it. And I I feel like sometimes there can be a sense of despair Mm. or darkness, like, Mm. oh my gosh, this is never going to get better. This is, this is too, this is terrible. Yes. But it goes on to say in that passage that everywhere God's kids were, light was among them. Mm. And I, just a beautiful reminder that everywhere you go, you bear the light of Christ and mm, come on. Dark, darkness can't overcome it. Come it, on. it doesn't matter how thick it is. So definitely want to leave on that little helpful note. So good. Yeah. Um, that there's, and then I think probably the only other little passage I would share would be first John three, eight that says the reason the son of man came was to destroy the devil's work. And as co-heirs, co-laborers, you know, with God, we now get that, that opportunity, privilege and responsibility. So the idea that we would, we would destroy what the devil's trying to do in our household marriages, bodies, minds, that's, it's actually very biblical. So feel Mm -hmm. empowered to go and do that.
1: I love that. I do feel empowered after after (laughs) hearing you talk. I do feel empowered, and I want to read every word of your book. So, super good. Tell us where we can get your book at, Beth.
2: Yes, you can get it anywhere that you buy books—Amazon or any Christian um, retailer, any anywhere you want to. You can get you can get it. There's two of them actually. There's a a traditional trade book, the way you would think of as a book, and then I really wanted a tool that would help people feel like they were exercising these skills and So it would look like a Bible study. I think it's called an activation journal or something, but it's really like a Bible study and it's just called punch first. So whether you use throw the first punch or punch first, they're both tools to help just become more and more fluent in what it looks like to, to fight in spiritual warfare.
1: I love that. So good. Okay. We've got a few questions we like to ask everybody as we wrap up. So first one, do you prefer coffee, tea, or kombucha?
2: Uh Diet Coke. Is that one of my choices? Oh. <laughs>
1: I love that. Okay. Fourth category, Diet Coke. So none of those for you. I love it. Okay. Now I've been hearing a lot about dirty Diet Cokes where people add like cream and lime and different, do you do that?
2: I, well, I mean, in a, certainly yes. I, I have seasons every year where I go off of Diet Coke just to prove to me and my body that I can do it. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, Diet Coke is my caffeine uh, form okay. of choice.
1: Okay. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Favorite brand of athletic wear. Do you have a favorite brand of athletic wear?
2: You know what? The Carrie Underwood's brand lately, I've really liked um, the quality of that and yeah. the way it looks, how it can go from wherever it is I'm doing that's exercise related to wherever I need sure. to be, where I need to be presentable. Yes. Um, I've
1: seen it. Dick Sporting Goods is where I'm mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. And then do you have a favorite way that you like to move your body?
2: Mm. Awesome. I do a lot of hiking, but, um, really every night, part of my self-care routine is after dinner, my husband and I go, I'm usually just like a four mile walk. It's about an hour and it's the way we move and download our days. And that. whenever that doesn't happen, I can tell it did not happen. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, mm-hmm. it is good for my mind as well as my body and my relationship. So that's that. kind of a simple little way to move my body, but it's probably my favorite.
1: For sure. Well, if you ever need a podcast to listen to while you're moving, Elisa does a Revving the Word podcast where she teaches the Bible while she coaches you through moving. So it could Uh be walking, it could be running, it could be cycling. So good. So we are a ministry that believes sometimes you have to move to Mm -hmm. work things out, right? And the Lord leads us in those places. So, well, I am so glad that you said yes to joining us here today. and having a conversation about things that we need to be more aware of um, that yeah. are happening around us. So thank you so much, Beth. We hope that everybody will go out, grab your book, go grab TraumaFreeWorld.org, go there, get those resources. Um, but we're just so glad that you are here. So thanks for joining us and everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next
0: time. Y'all have a good day.
2: Thanks for Bye. having me.
0: Hey friends, let us know what you thought about this episode. We would love to hear what impact the conversation between Kara and Beth made on you. You can swipe up to the show notes to get the link to leave us an audio message and tell us all about it. Let's keep the conversation going. And don't forget that signups are still happening for Project Stress Relief. You can get registered in the show notes as well. And would you do us a favor, share this episode and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. When you share the word about the Revelation Wellness Podcast, it really does help us share the good news with others, literally to the ends of the earth. And as always, thank you for being here. We love to build community with you. We'll be back Monday with a brand new Rubbing the Word episode. We'll see you then. Peace.